So tonight, um, we continue our study in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. In chapter 5, John has a vision of God's throne and meets a lion who is a lamb. So you can read with me if you would like in your handout. Or not. That's fine. Okay. Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. In between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the voice of many angels, numbering the myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in the saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So we're continuing in our, in our study of Revelation tonight. There's this guy, his name is Dr. Carl Ellis. And Dr. Ellis has been uh, very influential to me. He's a theologian, kind of pastor guy in Chattanooga. I really appreciate Dr. Ellis because I belong to a denomination that is overwhelmingly white. And Dr. Ellis is a man of color, African-American guy who is a theologian. And um, he's, just, he's just taught with such grace and dignity and wisdom. And I appreciate that he, it's, it's not easy for him to live and move in the denomination that I live in necessarily. He's a wonderful guy. But I was listening to him preach, uh, teach recently. And he was, he was talking about how he could neither be a conservative or a liberal. And the reason why, he said, is because neither conservatives or liberals believe what I believe about what human beings are. The Bible teaches, and uh, sort of the Christian faith believes, two very fundamental things about human beings, about all human beings. One is that every human being is created with an incredible degree of value and dignity and worth. That every human being is special, and they were made by God. Um, but every human being is corrupted, is sort of morally, in, in the way that we see the world, in the way that we act, in every sense. So he would say... He's like, you know, conservatives believe that the ind- an individual person has dignity and honor. But if you put those people together, so like the best thing you can do for human beings is just let individuals make decisions. The problem comes when, when something like the government or a big entity of people comes in 
and, and they, they thwart human flourishing. Does that make sense? So like individual good, but government's bad. But the kind of the mess with that is that the government is just made up of individuals who are all good, right? That's, so it's kind of confusing. But if, he said liberal people don't believe in what I believe either because they would say that human beings can't be trusted to do right on their own. Okay, they always they always screw it up. You can't just let people do what they want. They need constraints and resources from, from something like government. But then also what they don't realize is that the government is made up of people who are also corrupted individuals that can't be left to their own to, on their own. See what I'm saying? He's saying in whatever philosophical, religious, political ideology in the world, you will find um, that nobody really believes that human beings are of ultimate value and are completely corrupted. Okay? So the Christian view of human beings is both the most elevated and also the most realistic. Does that make sense? And that is a dilemma for us. Because what it means is that we are really, really, really valuable. That we really, really, really matter. But that we really, really are a mess. Just think about your most fundamental relationship in the world. And that's your family. Okay? Everybody comes into a family, no matter what. And some of you guys have, have great relationships with your family, and you're really close with them, and that's a very life-giving place for you. Some of you guys have been very hurt by your family, intentionally or not. Um, some of you guys have been hurt to a great deal by your family, neglected by your family. And yet, see, so, there's, a, there, so there's, there's corruption in every family. Every family has baggage, right? Every family, no matter how much you love your parents, you're like, there's still things that hurt me about them. Yet, you don't just throw it away, right? Even if you're like, my dad was never around. Yet, as much as I want to be like, he doesn't matter, I still have a deep longing in myself to know him because he is my father. You see how there's that corruption, there's also that dignity. They're more than just biologically connected to you, right? Your family. Or think about even the idea of dying, Right, we would say, okay, from a purely sort of, you know, world, uh, you know, ground level, that you know, dying is just a biological part of life. Yet, when you talk to a person, there is something behind their eyes, and there's something in their laugh that lets you know this person should not die. This person should continue on forever. There's that dignity, and there's also there's something wrong, right? Or maybe you're playing a football game. And you have played well enough to beat the far superior team, far over the mountain in Knoxville. And, and you've played better, and yet sometimes in, like, fumbles just happen in the end zone, and you just don't fall on them, which would secure the game for you. It's like, you are so amazing, but yet there's corruption um, in you. <laughs> And I I say all that to sort of frame our talk tonight because um, it's our daily experience that we are special and full of dignity and yet broken to a very strong degree to the sort of to the core of who we are. Um, C.S. Lewis says, besides God's presence, the holiest object that's presented to you day by day is your neighbor. And yet those are the same people that hurt you and we hurt them. And the question for us tonight as we look at this passage um, is is there a plan to fix that? Um, can God do anything about that dilemma? And if he can, will he do something about it? Will he take us from like these beautiful, dignified creatures that are broken 
to just purely beautiful, dignified creatures. What will he do about that? And I want, I want us to look in this passage tonight and see that there is a plan. And there's also a problem. Look at, look at with me in, in the passage. Um, the Apostle John, he wrote this letter. He's recording his vision that he had of God. And he is, um, he's in God's throne room. We saw this last, last week. And look in, verse, in uh, chapter 5, verse 1. By the way, there's free Bibles on the back table. You don't have to ask. You just take them with you. John says, Then I saw at the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. God is sitting on a throne. And he sees that in his hand is a scroll, like a rolled up piece of paper, and it has seals on it. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. It's like it it sort of uh, escalates quickly. You know, um, it's kind of like he's this is a little bit of an overreaction to not being able to like read God's mail. Um, he starts weeping because nobody can read this scroll. Um, why is John so upset that no one can open a scroll in heaven and read it? Um, well, as Revelation continues to unfold, we see that this scroll that is in God's hand has seven seals on it. Is God's master plan for fixing what is wrong with human beings? Okay, the rest of the book of Revelation is going to show us what is inside this scroll. Um, but really, this is a God's royal decree. God says, I can fix what is wrong with my people. And John is weeping because no one is able to come and put that plan into action. There's no one that's worthy to break the seals on this royal decree and bring this plan of what we would call salvation into effect. Now, this might feel super far from us, um, but it's really not. This dilemma exists, and we weep over it when we actually let ourselves listen to ourselves. Like, Louis C.K. calls this the, the, um, <laughs> the deep emptiness. Okay? Louis C.K. is always at his best when he's on, like, Conan O'Brien. His stand-ups are really good, but when he's just, like, off the cuff in a chair, he's really, really great. But I was watching him the other day, and he was talking about riding in his car. In your car is like, he said the reason why 100% of people text and drive is because when you're in your car, you're alone and it's quiet. And like, you just can't handle being with yourself. Because he said the deep emptiness starts to sort of well up, right? When he says, when you know that you're alone in the universe and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, I, I, there, was a, there was an interesting study where they built the most silent possible room and no one was able to stay in it for longer than 30 minutes. Um, but anyway, to avoid those moments where we really sit and reflect on, wow, things are not okay, um, we, we, we are sort of masters at, at distracting ourselves. So we'll do, what, one thing we'll do is acquire things. Um, like you need grade. That's why you're going to be leaving in five minutes to go study for a test that you had this week. Um, you need Avid Brothers tickets. <laughs> Because if you don't go to the Aver Brothers concert, um, you will miss out on everything that Appalachian has to offer. You, you may need a new Patagonia um, or the new iPhone, which was released today, which apparently doesn't have a headphone jack, which is sad because I plug into things. Um, to, to quote a guy named James, everyone's like, what? There is not a headphone jack on the new iPhone. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, good. Um, 
because they're going to wireless headphones. Hang with me. Hang with me. Okay? I need you here right now. Okay. We acquire stuff because we think it's going to make us happy. We know it doesn't, but we keep going. Or, to distract ourselves from the deep emptiness, we numb out. Okay? This is, the, this is a favorite hobby of a lot of people in the room. Just numb out on Netflix. Like, the idea that we could just be literally watching, like, Parks and Rec for three and a half hours um, is sort of amazing. Or you, you get on your computer and you, you feast on pornography um, as, as, a, as a way to detach from the things that are, hurt, that are hurting you, that are wrong with you, and just say, I will just enter into another world of fantasy, which is interesting. You see the dignity and corruption even in something like pornography. Beautiful, like the thing that we want, this connection, and yet it's it's corrupted. Or like you smoke weed three nights a week just to just to get away. We distract ourselves. I read a study from Harris Interactive. Thirty-three percent of adults use their phones on dinner dates. Don't do that. Thirty-five percent use them at the movies, which I'm fine with. Um, Twenty percent of young adults, eighteen to thirty-four, have checked their phones while having sex. Uh, like, the thing that everyone in this room thinks, if I could just get that, everything would be okay. Yet, 20% of people are checking their phone during the act. Um, and and maybe, it's, maybe for you, it's just something super benign. Um, maybe it's something just benign, like packing your schedule so full of stuff that you never even have time to stop and think. Because you know and I know, when you really stop and it's really quiet in your soul, you go, I'm actually beautiful and worth a lot, like in the eternal sense. And there are things wrong with me that I can't fix, that, I, that I'm empty. And when we consider the beauty and the brokenness of life, it causes us to weep. Like the real reaction, like Louis C.K. says, I felt it coming in the car. I reached for my phone to text. And then I just let it down, and I said, I'm just going to let it happen. And he said, I pulled over, and I wept on the side of the road, just because this is guy, he's not a Christian guy by any means. And he said, you know what, afterward, I actually felt a lot happier. Because <laughs> he, he said, we don't really get happy because we don't really get sad. That's another sermon. Um, but we weep like John weeps because there's no one that can fix it. It just feels hollow and lost. But then an elder comes to John. Look, look in, uh, in verse uh, 5. There's all these people in this throne room of God, and one of the elders comes, and he says to John, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Uh, there, there is someone that can conquer. There's someone that can put it right. There's someone that can open the scroll, someone that is worthy to do that. And yet look when he looks around, verse 6. We're staying this deep in the text tonight. And between the throne and the four living creatures, he turns to look at this lion. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Um, the way that God has put this plan into effect to put humanity to rights, the person that is worthy to open the scroll and to bring God's beautiful plan of redemption into play is the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's someone who was like a little lamb that was killed. Have you ever like seen a lamb? 
Like, I was running the other day, and I ran past a, a young deer that had been killed. Um, and a young deer is like a, like a rhinoceros compared to a, a lamb, right? A lamb is, like, basically the wimpiest, softest, like, cuddliest little thing that you could possibly imagine. And the way that God conquers is that he sends his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, to come and to die. To be a lamb that was slain. What victory looks like for God is a slain lamb. Um, And all the dignity of human beings and all our depravity and brokenness is on display as the Lord Jesus himself goes to the cross. He's naked. He's nailed to it and hung to it. So we see this God really, really, really cares and thinks that we matter. And man, things are not okay. Um, Everybody in heaven is worshiping Jesus. Um, And it's really interesting. They're they're falling down before him. They have all these incense. And look at what they say in verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God. And then in verse 12, there's thousands and thousands of angels. And they say, worthy is the Lamb. Who was slain? Um, Jesus defeats the powers of darkness and makes us right with God by dying. And like for most of us, this doesn't sound weird. And that is so weird. When you think about there's a God who reigns above and he can fix what's wrong with us. And you know what he does? He becomes a, a, a little poor Jewish guy and then he dies. And then literally everyone in heaven like bursts out into joy and song over that. Um, The joy of heaven and the joy of the plan of God is the death and suffering of his son. Um, There's a couple places where this is very clearly shown to us how beautiful this is. Lily Potter, um, if you're a Harry Potter fan. Um, It's hard for me to read Harry Potter. It's, It's just... It's amazing. I'm like, J.K. Rowling must know Jesus, right? Um, Because what happens? His mother stands before Harry as a baby in front of Voldemort, right? She she, she willingly takes the killing curse on herself to protect. She gives herself up so that another person can live. And what happens? Magic that no one can even understand comes into the world to protect this child, to change the events of history. Um, e- even better than that is, uh, is Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If, you, if you've ever read that or seen the movies, there's a boy, his name's Edmund, and he's a traitor. Aslan is the king of Narnia. He's a lion. And because he is a, uh, this, this boy, Edmund, is a traitor, it's a long story. You have to watch the movie or read the book. Um, he's given up to the White Witch, who is sort of the, the evil presence in Narnia. And, and Aslan goes willingly on Edmund's behalf, and he allows her to, the white witch, to shave him, to humiliate him, and ultimately to kill him on the stone table, right? He gives his life willingly so that another can live. But he comes back, and he says this really beautiful thing. He's talking to Susan and Lucy, um, and Aslan, this great line, he says, it means that the witch knew the deep magic. There is a, a magic deeper still that she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time, but if she could have looked a little further back 
into the stillness and darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. Jesus goes to the cross, the lamb, a a willing lamb without spot. he, He is killed. And when he gives himself up willingly for you and for me, death itself begins to work backwards for us. And here's the point of this tonight. Jesus, God, God, the son, he gives himself so that you can live. And that is what the universe is built on. If you think that like of, of the world and the cosmos having like a fuel that God uses to run it or like a shape or a form or a map. Um, giving up your life so that someone else can live is that fuel. Um, and a dead lamb is probably not what we expect from God's plan. It's probably not even what we want from God, to be completely honest. If you were in community groups last night, um, if you're not in a community group, I would really recommend you do it. It makes this group a lot smaller. There's these two guys and they're walking on the road and they watch Jesus die on the cross and they're walking away very sad um, because they missed it they thought this guy can't be the one that's going to fix everything because he's dead they don't understand the deeper magic right and and they this is not the form that they expected god's plan to take for them i I don't know what you're expecting and hoping god to do for you uh, I don't know what form you're expecting that to look like. And maybe you've missed it too. Um, do you know this Jesus who says you are so full of beauty and glory and you're so broken that the only way for me to fix this, the plan looks like me going and dying for you. This Jesus who gives his life freely so you can live. As Charles Wesley says, who is full of truth and grace, more full of grace than I am of sin. Um, the shape to bring this down, the shape of God's plan for history and for your life. Yes, like you, sophomore, living in Doughton. The plan, the shape of the plan that he has for your life is cruciform. And by the word cruciform, I mean it, has the, it takes the shape of a cross. It's not like there was a problem and then God just said, the best case scenario here is for me just to send my son, he's going to die. All of reality is built on the shape of a cross um, that someone would willingly give themselves up so that someone else could live. And there's two takeaways from that. And this is, this is it. First, that means if Jesus willingly gave himself so that you could live, that means that you can face the deep emptiness. It doesn't mean that the deep emptiness is going to go away for you. But it means that you can look at it and you can enter into that deep emptiness because it doesn't win. It doesn't win in the universe and it doesn't win in your life. The family pain. Um, I've talked to five people this week that I'm like, how are you even standing up after what is going on in your family? Um, that means that it's not going to go away, but it will not win at the end of the day. Jesus will win. <laughs> at the end of the day, um, that he puts you, in a sense, in himself and hides you with him. It, it might just be that you are a young life leader 
And there's really hard stuff going on with the kids that you lead in your group. Um, and you don't know how to deal with it. It means that you can face it. It doesn't mean that it's going to go away, but it means that there's a deeper magic wherein Jesus rolls back death. And the second thing it, it, it means is this. If the, if the form of God's plan for all humanity is in the shape of a cross, um, what is the shape of your life? Because really, if that's, what the universe, if that's the stuff that the universe is built on, that either means that you can live in that form um, and find deep joy through that sadness and hardness and giving yourself up, or you can push against it and at best have a superficial joy that has no pain because it has no sacrifice. And God himself is the one that sacrificed. The God that made you in his image is the one who sacrificed. Um, what is the shape of your relationship with your roommate? Um, and like this sounds trivial. We're talking about Jesus dying. I mean, like maybe instead of like group meing the other people on your hall about how your roommate never washes dishes. It literally could just look like washing the dishes. And it's not like that means that you have now arrived with Jesus. No, Jesus loves you. He invites you. In. It means that you're starting to slowly step into a cross-shaped life. Um, what, does your, what, what shape does your, is your relationship with the church if you're a Christian? I don't assume that you are. Is it just a place where you come to get needs met? Is RUF just a place where you come to get needs met? Or is it a place that you come to die so other people can live? Um, we have a few ways in RUF to help to help sort of work you into that shape of the cross. You can go with Trevor to Green Street Catering and like give up three hours to literally just make meals for people that don't have food. Trevor would love to give you a ride in his sweet truck to Alliance Bible Fellowship on Thursdays. Um, it means that you can go volunteer at Farm Cafe with Mary Claire or Kelsey, who did not know that I was making this announcement. Um, and go and work and help feed people. It means you can split wood with Ben Hamill for people that can't heat their homes in the winter. What all I'm asking you is, what is the shape of your life? Jesus has died for us willingly to give us life. And he's calling you literally to, just, to go and to die so that someone else can have life. That's what it means to know and to live with Jesus. Uh, as simply as I can put it. And I just want to close with verse 13 because it's beautiful. And there's, what else can we say? And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Um, how do we even say and explain what you've done in willingly going to death um, for us so that we can have life? And the deep magic that began to work out where even death itself began to work backwards. And you came back from the dead and you're bringing us back from the dead. Lord, forgive us that that just doesn't stir us sometimes. Um, would, you, would you impress yourself into our hearts? Would you help us to see that just by trusting you, you will hide us in yourself? That we can face the things that are before us because they don't win.
and that we can willingly go and die. Um, Lord, through that, would you help us to find real joy? We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end.